0: Nothing like a little reminder that the gifts that you've got every single day that we take for granted, right? Awesome. We continue our series, Come to Worship. Last week, Runk started us off, and the only way that we can begin to worship as followers of Jesus is if we know Jesus and have a relationship with Him, and that's what I think Runk's brought home for you last week. So if your Bible turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, we look in looking there and in several different places, so they'll all be on the screen, take notes, we're going to talk fast because... Mar- uh, Maggie brought church here this morning when she was reading, did you think so? Good stuff. Oh no, thank you. So Matthew chapter 2, over the next few weeks we talked about Jesus, today we're going to be talking about gifts, next week, next week we're going to be talking about pouring out our hearts in worship, and then the week after that on Christmas Eve we're we'll going to be talking about kneeling ourselves, our complete selves before God, that that's the only way that we come into the presence of a holy God. To kneel. Our hearts, our minds, our souls, the things that we've got. Man, sometimes I just, I wish, as we were even singing that last song, I was thinking, man, I just, I'm reminded of David, King David, and David just, he unashamedly began to dance through the streets. And he was the king. If anybody wasn't supposed to dance, it was the king. And the king was dancing because he's like, listen, I've been in the presence of the living God, and there's no other thing I can do than to worship and to celebrate. And the only way that I know how to get that, express that out is to dance. And so sometimes it's okay for us Baptists to lift our hands and to get moving and to dance and to be unashamed, not because of the people around us, but because we're in the presence of God. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about extravagant love because our God has been extravagant with us in Matthew chapter two. It's a story, you know, well, but let's Dig into it. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, King Herod was a bad dude. He was not good. He'd come into this position. It was a political position that had traditionally been a religious position. And so here they are. They're now one kingdom together. And King Herod is, is a guy that is all about himself. He's been reigning for a long time and he's been very vengeful. He's done a lot of good things, a lot of the architecture and and he's been very generous with um, the taxes that he's raised so that he can be generous with other people. And so a lot of good things are happening. But he is not known within the Jewish context of a nice guy, but extremely bad. He was well known to the Romans. They loved him because of the way that he treated his own people. About that same time, some wise men or magi or astrologers from eastern lands. And if some of you in your Bibles it will say from from far away. Some of you will say Persia. That is modern-day Iran or Iran. How do you say it here? Iran. Iran. Okay, so y'all know where Iran is in the Middle East, and those are not nice people, are they? Generally, we have this perception that they're not. This is old-time Persian. About 1939, we decided as Western people that we didn't want to call that Persian anymore, and we gave them the name Iran. So Iran is about 900-plus miles from Bethlehem. So imagine... These guys and their little entourage traveling over 900 plus miles, as soon as they see the star of Jesus rise up, they begin saying, listen, that is the star that we've been looking for. One of the beautiful things about this story to me that sometimes is lost is, listen, these were men that were not Jewish. They were following the stars. They were worshiping the way that they knew how to worship. And God showed up in their midst and used what was in their world to show them who the baby child Jesus was. And they were so convinced that this is the person that they'd been looking for, that this was the Messiah, the Anointed One, that they took up some camels and began a journey of 900 plus miles. And listening back in that day, that meant that was going to be a journey. 12, 15, 20 miles maybe at best during a day. You can imagine, that's a long time. So here are these wise men traveling from Persia. They have arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Imagine with me, King Herod's there. He's having coffee with his friends. The fire's going, and he's about to go down for the night. And these guys roll up in their camels. Their entourage rolls up, knock, knock, knock. You know the big knockers. Hey, is the king here? Yeah. He opens up the door. Hey, king, where's the baby? Where's your baby son at? And he's looking around, going. I don't have any babies that I know of or that I'm going to talk about. And so, well, come on in. Let's talk about this baby that you're talking about that's going to be the future king. He was, as it says here in the Greek language, King Herod was deeply disturbed. As you imagine if you worked hard and you've done everything you could possibly do to, to maintain this power and again the position, and then someone knocks on your door and says, listen, hey, King Herod, you're about to lose this position, you can imagine that he was deeply disturbed in his soul. And when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem, because everyone in Jerusalem knew the reputation of King Herod. When King Herod was deeply disturbed, good things did not happen. So it began to spread around. Rumors began to spread. We don't know anything about that here in LaGrange, but rumors began to spread. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Here he is. He's supposed to be the leaders of the people, but he didn't even know where the Messiah was going to be born. In verse 5, In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is where the prof- what the prophet wrote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come for you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, And he learned from them the time when the star had first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had been seeing in the east guided them to Bethlehem. They went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now this idea of joy is this, this ever-growing, ever-compounding type of joy. Not just a one-time thing, but it just they saw the star and the joy in them began to rise up and began to continue to grow and to grow and to grow and to grow. As a matter of fact, this is the same type of joy for us as that we have that initial experience of saying yes to Jesus, but the more that we're amazed by His grace, that there's this ever-compounding joy within our hearts and within our lives, within our soul, because we come to understand the fullness of what it means to receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Because if we look back over our lives and we realize, hey, we are wretched, stinky people. And God said, I love you so much that I gave my life for you. We can understand this overwhelming, compounding joy that the farther we are along in our faith, the more joy that there should be. Have you ever heard of the Beatitudes? Happier those who, happier those who, happier those who, as we begin to more and more live our life upside down from the way that the world tells us to, that even though that there's going to be criticism of us, the more we look like Jesus, the more joy that comes outside of us. Sorry, I haven't preached in two weeks. I'm excited. <laughs> Too many times as Christians, we're not joy-filled. Amen. We're mad, we're critical, we're angry, we're selfish, and we're under joy. Y'all heard that song? If you're happy and you know it, then clap your hands, right? Y'all know that? Okay? Happy, joyful. If you're happy and you know it, then you're... Face, will surely show it. Some of you got to tell your faces that you're joyful. We're more known for what we're complaining about. Sorry. Verse 11. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped. Then they opened up their treasure chests and they gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and how did they worship? They bowed down before Him. Now listen, this sounds like, okay, we, we think of the pictures that we've got up here and you've got the manger and all this different stuff. Listen, we understand now historically that he, he wasn't just in a little baby in a manger, but He was probably about two years old. Now how many of you know some toddlers that you want to bow down and worship? Right? As a matter of fact, if anything else, toddlers are, we don't want to worship them, we want to guide them. Okay? They're loud, they're cantankerous. I mean, they just got all kinds of stuff. They're selfish, they're doing their own thing. And so here these wise men come, they've been following this star and they know that there's pressure because they've talked to King Herod and they know something's not up with that. And so here they are and they fall down at the feet of Jesus and begin to worship and they open up their treasure chests. I don't know about you, but treasure chests, that's where I keep my my stuff. And when I want something that's really valuable, I kind of hide it and keep it and then I only bring it out to show those that, that are precious to me. I want them to see those things That are precious to me. And so here these wise men have traveled for a long way with their treasure chests. And they've come and they've brought their best to worship Jesus. How many of us even this morning didn't even want to get out of bed? Amen. Come on now. Here we are. You're more excited about lunch than worship. People still do this, right? My kids, the things that they treasure the most, they hide them from us. Why? Because they know Dad, if he doesn't see any benefit of it, he's going to get rid of it probably. But those things that are precious, we hold dear to them and we hide them and we pull them out only to show those that we truly want to know. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus is sitting, sitting in the temple and He's got His disciples with Him. He's in, doing His ministry and Jesus sits down toward the front where the, the ushers collect The money, as a matter of fact, they just had boxes in the front or in the back. And uh, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. The clink, clink, clink. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, as poor as she is, has given everything she has to live on. It's not about how much you give, but it's about the spirit with which you give it. That you give with the spirit of saying, listen, God, I'm amazed by your grace. I want to be extravagantly generous with what you've given me. Instead of saying, hey, God, look what I got to give you. And how many times I say, God, aren't you blessed to have me? Because, God, I I give. I I give this amount. I know no one else gives this amount or can give this amount. And it's about the Spirit, not about how much. Oh, some of you are saying, oh, no. I showed up on Giving Sunday. Listen, love gives. Love gives when you love someone, you give. If you were to look at my checkbook, you would see that my love, is, my love language is giving gifts. And so I, I love to give gifts to my wife. I love to give gifts to my children. I love to give gifts to the movement of Christ. And so if you were to look at my checkbook, you could ch- chase back the, tr- the chain and the place of where my money is going. Why? Because I love to give to those that I love. Actually to a fault sometimes. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says it this way. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your say that word with me, treasure is. There the desires of your heart will be also. There's a chain from your heart to your checkbook. Can easily trace the trace the trail of what you love. Love gives. John three sixteen, if you know it. For God so loved the world. Love gives. Romans five eight. Pop that up there for us. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still, using Maggie's word, stinky. The holy God gave his life for us even while we're stinky. Some of you are saying, I love God, but this giving thing is hard. And I get it. I get it. It is extremely hard at times, but Proverbs chapter 3 Verses five through ten. This this whole thing about giving. Whenever you give, God's math does not add up. I've had this conversation with several of you over the last few weeks. We've talked about different stuff, and somewhere along the way, we talk about giving. And one of the things that people have said, Hey, listen, I give. I'm tithing. I'm doing all this. And and I, and, Pastor, I don't understand it. But when I began giving, I always thought I was going to have to give up some other things. And yeah, you do. Okay, there's some choices that you have to make. Many of us, it's probably the first time that we have to budget because we realize we're intentionally giving some money away. But in that process, God's math doesn't add up. At the end of the year, when you look at your bills, you look at your responsibilities, and you were faithful and obedient in giving, it doesn't add up, but God always provides. And it seems like the more generous you are, the more generous He is with you. And I don't understand, but it talks about obedience over and over and over again. And just being obedient and saying, listen, God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust you. You've given yourself so extravagantly. I want to begin to to model and look like you and extravagantly give as well and see what God does. As a matter of fact, it's the only place in Scripture. It's the only time in Scripture where God says, trust me, try this and see if I don't bless you in response. Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 5-10, through again, a a verse that so many of us know portions of it well, but here toward the end, 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In other words, with all of your being. Don't just silo your life, but with your entire being, trust in the Lord. Do not depend upon your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Indeed, fear the Lord and turn away from evil then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. So in other words, if, if you're stuck in something, okay, and I, we're in church and all of us are messy, so it's all of us in some way or somehow are stuck in something that we've got a mess in, the truth is this, is don't be impressed with your own wisdom because you've been trying to do it your own way. Turn away from it and see if you don't get healing because God will heal you in those places where you are broken. You begin to follow Him. That was bonus. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your what? Wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That's why I showed that video before. It's easy for us to think about how much we don't have. But listen, I know most of us in here are wealthy compared to the world standard. I've traveled the world and I thank God for these opportunities to literally be on trash heaps with children like this age that don't have mothers and fathers and literally are eating off of trash dumps of refuge and refuge and trying to find refuge amongst that stuff and they're eating and they're and it's a stench that is overwhelming. If you've ever smelt the stench of true poverty, it burns in your nostrils. And it changes you how you see the world and you come home and you're like, man, I get to eat. Not just three times, I can eat as many times in a day I want. And we've got people around the world that are scraping together to get a bowl of rice. And we say, God, I I love you, but I don't know. Sometimes we just, we need stuff taken away from us to be reminded of what we got. Worship God with your wealth and the first fruits, because God has been extravagantly generous with us. That's the heart of God. Not just with our money, but with our time and with our talents. In Romans chapter 12, 1 through two. Romans chapter twelve, verses one through two. Says this. This is Paul's been given a whole bunch of theology and to the church, first eleven chapters, and then in um, some of your verse. Some of your versions, it will say, in view of God's mercy, in view of all these truths that I've given you. And here in the, the version I've got New Living Translation, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. The picture is this, whenever Paul is drawing this imagery to his to his audience is he literally has an altar in mind and he tells them the moment that you wake up in the morning in view of all that God has given you the extravagant love that he's given you crawl up on the altar of God and say God today I am yours and that's easy to do at the beginning of the day or easier to do and then you get your kids up right and then your mouth comes off the altar and then you get to work, and your hands and your feet come off the altar, and then by the end of the day, we're just hoping that a pinky is there. Listen, God says, listen, because of my extravagant love, crawl up on the altar of life and live life differently in such a way that people say, wow, that's what it means to know Jesus. Happier those people because they're living life upside down. They're living life extravagantly. They don't worry about the things of life because they know that they know that they know that they're being extravagant and their God time after time after time because of their obedience shows up in their time of need and provides because God's math, God's economy is not our economy. And if we want to truly reach LaGrange, if we truly want to reach Fayette County, if we truly want to be a part of reaching Texas, if we truly want to be a part of reaching the world, we are going to have to become extravagant people with our money and with our time and with our talents because the world needs us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be extravagant with who you are. Our giving is a reflection of what God has done in us. So here's what I want you to think about this morning is if you haven't accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, the most extravagant gift that's ever been given, then today's that day. I pray that you would say, I don't, maybe you don't fully understand what that means, but here's what I'll tell you, is if when you say yes to Jesus, it will change your life. It will change your life. And I hope that I hope that I hope that there are some of you here this morning that need that. Maybe you've been church for a long time and you've forgotten what it means to be amazed by His grace, that you've taken for granted the gifts that you've been given. And you begin to say, listen, God, thank you for allowing me to bless you instead of the other way around. Maybe today you begin giving from your wealth financially, your time, your talents. One of of the funnest things that we do over the last few weeks at staff meeting is we share stories about the stories that we're hearing from people racking people all over town. As a matter of fact, the, I got to meet with Stacey Nelson, who's in charge of the Visitors Bureau and does SMEC and Fest and all that stuff, because I said, listen, I know that, I know that." that um, well, she told me, she goes, hey, listen, I'm excited to meet with you because you guys have not been active in the community. And I said, well, that's changing. As of SMEC and Fest, we're here. You throw something out and we're going to be there. And if we're, if we, are not going to do it as a church. You just tell me who you need as volunteers and we're going to put it out because we will be in the community because we want to be there during the good times because we understand the bad times are coming. And so we want to show people that we're not just about gathering here, but we're about being in the community and walking because we are the salt and the light. And if we're the ones that bring light to darkness, and we got to be there. And if we're the ones that are supposed to bring flavor, then we got to be there. Because if we're not there, then there's not any flavor and there's no good dancing. So we got to be there. Be extravagant. Be about racking people, loving people, intentionally saying, I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus and being generous with whatever God's given me. Come to worship. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we admit there are days and weeks and months that we probably darken these doors and we truly don't come to worship we just come to do our time so father we confess that here this morning lord as a matter of fact if with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed no one's gonna look around father that's if that's if you ever been there even today man we're just we're just raising our hands and saying yes that's me father if we've gotten to that place where we're saying hey god we you are grateful that i am your child Father, we confess that. Father, we confess that you, you truly, you don't even need us. But you've chosen us. And that you have redeemed us. You have bought us out of slavery. Every single one in this room was a slave to their stench. And if we've forgotten it, may you remind them, may you give them that smell, the reminder of their stitch. So, Father, we may be reminded that we are truly amazed and that you were extravagant of what it cost you to buy us out of slavery. May we never forget and may we never forget again. So, Father, this morning that as we come, I pray that this place here, this altar here that as we worship you, that maybe in our, our pews, maybe we come forth and we just get on our hands and knees and our face and we bow down and we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we're going to bring you our treasures. Whatever we got, even if that's just two measly coins, we're bringing it. Because Jesus, you are worth it. And that the rumors of Second Baptist are we are changing the world here. Can you believe what that Second Baptist LaGrange is doing for Jesus Christ? Because everyone else says it's just LaGrange. It's just some of those people at, at, at Second Baptist. Listen, I've been around town, people. And I love you with my heart. And I'm growing to love you even more with my heart. But our reputation is not one of love. It is not one of extravagant generosity. It is not one of saying that those people are amazed by grace. And every time I hear that, it's someone who does not know Jesus. And so now we've got to work extra hard. But God is a God of second chances. And at Second Baptist, Chris, and in you, I pray that you kneel and worship.